0: You're listening to another episode of the Cast, your one-stop shop for all things Clonacilty Bicycle Festival and beyond. I'm Alison Roberts and today I'm speaking with Mike McKillen, biochemist and microbiologist from Dublin, long-time cycle campaigner and one of the first people I met when I needed help from the cycling advocacy world in Dublin. So it's a kind of a, a wet morning here in West Cork. I don't know what it's like there in Dublin.
1: Oh, it's um, grey here, but not raining. Because oh. I need I need to do some uh, outside painting. So hope oh, it stays ha- that way. Yeah,
0: it might never dry though. Just to start, <laughs> just to start off, I like to ask. Um, I like to ask people about maybe your earliest memories of cycling or when you started cycling.
1: Yeah, well, I am a child of the fifties. So I would have cycled to, not my kindergarten, but certainly from my junior um, school, I would have cycled from the age of probably about eight uh, right through to when I left that particular school, age 12. And parents didn't deliver children to school in those days. Children walked or or children cycled. And and that's one thing we've lost in the intervening decades.
0: So you were unaccompanied minor cycling to school in the 50s, 50s, early 60s.
1: You know, parents didn't fuss about you. They didn't worry about you. They weren't worried about you being run over. Now, although I have to say children were killed and severely injured in those days as, as pedestrians playing on streets, because that's where you played. And also, uh, you know, when, when they were on, on bicycles as well.
0: And where was that?
1: That would have been. I lived in uh, Glenegiri Killiney and my school was in Dunleary. So it was about a two mile cycle, and uh, that area of Dublin is hilly. So it might have been downhill on the way to school, but it was uphill on the way back from school.
0: And did you, like, if you think back to cycling, did you take to it straight away or what? what? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was so, you could just do anything you wanted. You could go anywhere. I remember um, when I was at that uh, first um, um, school, a uh, junior school, I got my brother and a couple of mates and I said to them one day, let's Mitch from school. Now, the word Mitch probably doesn't mean anything to modern, but that means you, you take a day off school without your parents on school. <laughs> so I said, lads, we're heading off to the Sugarloaf Mountain. So we... Our parents would have sent us to school with a packed lunch, so we had that anyway. And then I forged a letter uh, as purporting to come from my parents to the school, which I could have, would have dropped in the next day uh, to say why we weren't at school, that we were ill. And um, we cycled all the way from Glenagiri to the base of the Sugarloaf through Rocky Valley,
0: and how far are that for for those of us? Oh,
1: that, I mean, we were only. We I, I just looked at it the other day. We were on, I was only about eleven, and my brother was nine, <laughs> and pals were around about the same age. And you know, we just thought this was amazing. This liberty—you could do anything you wanted.
0: But how long of a cycle would that have been?
1: It would have been about a ten-mile, twelve-mile cycle yeah, each way. Yeah, yeah, Total uphill. Freedom. I mean, uphill. <laughs>
0: And did you get caught?
1: No, we got away with it. <laughs> I, in later life, I told my parents, I think it was my dad's 80th birthday party celebration. I told him what we'd done. We'd kept it quiet. <laughs> but, but he was he was delighted to hear it.
0: And in the years in between, have you done much cycle adventuring internationally or around Ireland?
1: Yeah, um, my wife and I, we, we up until recently, we led um, cycle tours either in this country or... Particularly in France, because she's a fluent French speaker, so it's easier to to uh, get on in France. And indeed, we've done we've done many. We've done the Loire Valley in France. We've done um, the um, Charente Maritime, um, Ile de Roue, uh, um, and then we've done the Veneto in Italy, just more recently. Um cycle touring is a great way to see a country, meet people, and we we base ours around good eating and good drinking
0: that's exactly what we do too it's the best and where do you normally stay do you normally book into b&b's or have you done warm showers
1: yeah we book into b&b's or or hotels and and we tend to arrange it all in advance so that we know on this night we're there yeah and uh it's it's a great way of seeing a country
0: um and so just to get moved you towards bike advocacy, you're one of the kind of longest standing cycle advocates in Ireland, probably I could say. Would you say that?
1: I'm certainly among the oldest, yes.
0: <laughs> and long, I mean, you, you started and still
1: and still standing.
0: You you started in um quite a few years ago, didn't you? So what what maybe you could just give our listeners an idea of what got you into bike advocacy? Yeah. In the first, place. Um,
1: I suppose I mean I I tolerated cycling conditions in Dublin. All the while that I was uh, at work in Trinity, um, and I, I live in Balls Bridge, so my commute was only about just short of five kilometers each way. And, you know, I, I just would keep thinking every day, I'm lucky I got home alive, you know. And uh, gradually, because traffic was getting worse and worse, and driving standards were getting worse and worse, that, those two came together, and drivers were more frustrated and therefore weren't prepared to tolerate slow what they saw the slow people blocking their way you know Ireland was you know progressing um, developing uh, in a in an industrial sense and more and more people were able to afford cars so I suppose in the early 80s I heard about this group called the Cycling Action Group or CAG as we were called CAGers and Two leading lights in it were um, Carmen Sita Hederman, who went on to become uh, Lady Mayor or Lord Mayor, first female Lord Mayor of Dublin City, and her husband, Billy Hederman, who was an orthopedic um, surgeon in the matter at that time. And um, I, came, I just stumbled across them. They had a stand or a table at, in College Green, And they were looking for members and that was the first time I really came across uh, an advocacy group for cycling. So I joined them immediately.
0: Sorry, you'd mentioned to me too earlier that um, that was after being after living in the States for a bit and seeing the way.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, So I'll I'll go back to deal with the where it all began in the States. (laughs) I was lucky to be able to go to Princeton University in New Jersey in the early 70s um, as a visiting um, professor uh, and researcher and um, when my late wife and I were there we saw that you needed a car I mean it was just even though Princeton was a university town it had one sort of shop that you could buy food in in, in the center of the town but if you wanted to get to a shopping center um, you needed a car there, were, there was no transport no local bus service so we thought we could do without a car and just get around on bicycles, but that wasn't to be so the local shopping center uh, was about you know th- two three miles out of town so and the still shopping center back here had just started um in the mid 60s so we could see that american influence had already come to ireland and that more shopping centers would be built all around the country and i just thought with with the with the Rachel um, Rachel Carson's Silent Spring, with presence on campus of the Sierra Club, which we joined, um, and Ralph Nader's Raiders, who were active on campus. Ralph Nader was the uh, beginning of consumer protection in the United States, and I learned a lot about advocacy and lobbying uh, from my stint in Nader's Raiders on on campus and the Sierra Club.
0: And you got back here and and you mentioned to me there was a a petrol shortage.
1: Yeah, um, a severe petrol shortage. And and, um, I don't think there was rationing. Rationing had been with the Suez War, but with the um, local garages and filling stations, basically did the rationing. They only doted it out to people that they knew as customers. So if you weren't a customer, it was quite difficult to get petrol. So that that was during the the aftermath, during and an the aftermath of the um, Arab-Israeli War of 1973, the Yom Kippur War. So you got a couple of gallons uh, if you were lucky. Um, so again, that brought home to me. Why, when I came back from America, I was cycling to work and not driving to work because on the bike I didn't need petrol. Um, So all the signs were there, but Irish people generally weren't reading the runes, you know. Um, So there were a number number of us in the universities, you know, who would have been thinking similarly to me. A lot of people in universities in Ireland cycled to their office.
0: And so what did the Cyclist Action Group then, what did you guys get up to in the early well, days? Well,
1: we didn't, we di- as I said, we didn't really achieve much, which is a pity. Um, and then we gave up more or less in disillusionment. Um, and that left a big gap. Um, so um, the Dublin Cycling Campaign was founded in 1993 by the present Minister for Transport, Eamon Ryan and Kieran Cuff and Damien O'Toole and other people who are still around, um, good to say. Um, but I didn't really know about them until the late 90s. Um, then I joined. So,
0: and Tell me about the importance in that time of the bus lanes and the development of the bus lanes in Dublin.
1: Okay, so um, after the cyclist action group CAG, um, the Dublin Transportation Office was set up and it introduced, it was a quango, and it introduced bus lanes on a, on a tr- what were called a trial basis in Dublin. And um, cyclists were permitted to be in the bus lanes. So I thought, and this was mid 80s, um, around about 1985, I think, the first bus lanes were introduced into Dublin City. And I thought, great, this is going to make a big difference. But at that time, bus drivers really didn't like cyclists and they didn't want them in their way. Um, And then, unbelievably, the then Minister for Transport, whose name I forget, he obviously didn't make much of an impression, um, it decided with a lot of lobbying from the taxi um, lobby groups, there would have been about three major taxi lobby groups then, Taxis were then allowed to be in bus lanes and that eventually led to the ridiculous situation where Michael O'Leary, the CEO of Ryanair um, was able to purchase a taxi license and be driven and drive in, in, in bus lanes. Uh-huh. In
0: Dublin.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, people, I mean, getting into a bus lane <laughs> liberates you if you're a driver, you know, but I have to say the Garda corner were very good at policing uh, bus lanes in the eighties, but you know they don't really do it much any longer. Um, but they were active in, certainly in the eighties.
0: And you're telling me as well. Back then, um, I mean, the number of cars since has obviously increased again. Um, so, what was Dublin like then in the eighties? Cars? Was there a lot? Was there more buses than cars? Or
1: no, there were. I mean, the car numbers were, were really growing. So, if we go back to my school days. Um, the car numbers would have been you know, below a million in the country as a whole. But then by the, what is it, 1985, there were 0.71 million private uh, cars in, in this country. And in 2018, that had shot up to 2.1 million. So in 1985, it was 0.71 million, shooting up to 2.1. So a threefold tripled. increase. Yeah, tripled.
0: Yeah, with the same with the same basic infrastructure, really. Right? Oh, I mean, absolutely, yeah, The motorway, is, the M fifty. Motorways are the
1: only things. Yeah. yeah, motorways are the only difference. But, on, but in you the know, downtown, once you're in an urban area. Yeah,
0: yeah. Which is really that's what we're looking at. That's what we're dealing with, isn't it?
1: But but the second thing that came with that was cars increased in overall dimensions. Yes. Mass, width. The width dimensions the important one for people cycling. So my first car was a Mini Eight Fifty. And it was 1.41 meters wide. Uh, one of my sons has a Land Rover Discovery, and it's <laughs> 2.22 2. meters wide. So yeah. we went from 1.41 to 2.22 as the
0: norm. It's more than a half a meter. Absolutely. In, that's And this.
1: that squeezes cyclists on existing infrastructure. And I don't think officialdom, and by officialdom, I mean anything from the Road Safety Authority to the Garden of Chikona to transport planners road designer they have they don't understand that that's what's happening
0: yeah and you see that down here in west cork especially with the camper vans tourists and they send them on these the wild atlantic way with these tiny little roads you feel terrible for them because you're like why why are these companies renting out such beasts to go on these tiny roads, it's hard to do. And it's frustrating. And you're right, people get people get upset because they're moving slowly and they can't navigate the roads properly. And then obviously, a lot of that gets taken out on the slowest road user. Yeah,
1: And if you're a cyclist, that's, you know, that's a lethal, um, that's a lethal threat.
0: And what about pedestrians in Dublin? Have they always, they've always had separate well, they,
1: and- they've had curb segregation, so they've been, oh, I mean, pedestrians only interact with the with traffic when they step off the curb. At least when they're on a curb, more or less, they're protected.
0: So it's mostly been, I suppose, in a, in somewhere like Dublin, the impacts have been kind of with cyclists, but also with kids being able to muck about in the streets. So you'd see a lot less, like you said, not so many kids being able to walk to school on their own.
1: Yeah. And we played on the street. The street the local residential street i lived in a residential area a residential estate or we were kicked out of the garden because we would have destroyed the flowers and the plants in the garden we weren't allowed to play in the garden get out on the street yeah, and that's pleasure. where everyone played
0: yeah and pleasure. we
1: were as thin as rakes it yeah. wasn't I, I didn't know any obese person in my cohort
0: well, there's a lot, a lot of uh, Irish friends that say they would have been kicked out of the house at you know eight a.m. and then called back in for a, a bit of supper, and and that's it. Yeah, you didn't see and your I, kids. I,
1: I spent all my teenage years afloat um, on um, on on the on the sea off Bullock Harbour. Um, I was a sea scout, and and I left the home at, you know whenever high tide, when we could get the boat out of the harbour, and I was gone for the day until tide came back in again in the evening.
0: Yeah, Dublin's amazing. Yeah. You can get, and now, I mean, you do have some amazing cycle paths around Dublin. Fast forward, you do have um, a nice, some coastal paths, really, but it's still the centre that is looking for attention.
1: Yeah, but um, I, I co-chair the Trinity College um, Active Travel Committee. And with COVID, uh, we put in a submission uh, to Dublin City in June. And we asked for them to review all the routes for suitability for cycling and walking between the main campus and all our um, other campuses i mean our medical center up in st james's hospital our halls of residence the principal one being at trinity hall at Dartry. and dublin city um, has created amazing space now for cycling uh, nassau street has a contraflow cycle track on it which we had asked for you know and that's great so dublin city has been and dunleary um rathdown county Council has been putting in an, amazing infrastructure for cycling. The coastal path, albeit a temporary one, is now in place. And it's um, a full vehicle lane width, so it's three point whatever meters wide, and they've made the, the, the route there one way for traffic.
0: And are you quite hopeful that those are gonna stick? Yeah,
1: I think so. I think once people <laughs> enjoy them, uh, under, enjoy it, and, and understand, they'll pr- they'll protect it, and there'll be a call to keep it. Although there is a, a, a movement in Blackrock and a movement in Leary to try and turn it around, but I, I don't think it will succeed.
0: So take me back again to the late '90s with the the forming of the Dublin Cycling Campaign, um, and then how the Dublin Second Sam- Campaign decided then in the early naughties to form cyclist.ie. What happened there? Or what was maybe what was what was Dublins cycling campaign like in the early days? What did you guys get up to?
1: Well, in the early days <laughs> there weren't very many of us. there were well, um, I mean when I took over as chairperson in I can't remember when it might have been 1997, uh, no sorry uh, 2003 or four, there would have been 156 members. I mean tiny membership. And when it was founded in 1993, it would have been a handful of people. So we really stayed, you know, just hundred below 200 for for a decade. And it's only recently that the numbers have shot up to well over 700.
0: And what would you guys have done? What was what well, was... what
1: we did, we we would have written letters to the paper. Social media didn't exist then um, in the 90s. Email only came in really in the. Um, mid 90s um, and websites only became available late 90s Um, so it was a lot of personal interaction with politicians with local councillors in particular setting up meetings Um, the first transport minister that I met uh, was the late minister uh, Seamus Brennan who was minister for transport in the mid nineties.
0: And would would you have paired that with actions too? Were you doing group? Were you leading group cycles?
1: Yeah, we we would have done. Uh, we set up um, critical mass cycles on the last Friday in every month, and that went on for quite a while. And um, it would annoy a lot of drivers. And then I suppose in the in the naughties, we decided that we were annoying too many people, and that's probably not the way to proceed. So we 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 stopped running um, critical mass uh, cycle rides, but they did continue, but not organized by Dublin Cycling Campaign. And And then we would do stunts. We would have done stunts. So, you know, we would have, um, when Will Andrews was chairperson, we looked at the carbon footprint of someone coming in from Finglas, say, by bike, someone coming in from Finglas by bus, someone coming in from Finglas by car, Or by taxi or walking in from Vinglas. and then we we held a press conference um, and a photo op at the pillar uh, at the uh, on law the spar the spike, and uh, we will had um, cutouts of a foot a human foot and scale them to show the carbon uh, footprint of a bicycle rider doing that. And we timed the bus journey, we timed the cycle ride, we timed the car trip at during rush hour. And, you know, things like that, We did; they were quite innovative and, and they got attention and got us media coverage.
0: And then from there, how did Cyclist.ie form? And What is, maybe you could just tell our listeners too, what is Cyclist.ie?
1: Yeah, so Cyclist.ie was the beginning of trying to get the cycling campaigns that were around the country at that stage. So we're talking here about 2008, Galway cycling campaign was in existence, Cork cycling campaign was in existence, Dublin cycling campaign. And that was about it. Uh, Limerick, sorry, Limerick cycling campaign as well. So there were basically four and we thought we need to get together. Um, And it was driven by um, Noel Dempsey, who was then transport minister, and I had written to Noel Dempsey seeking a meeting with him because he'd just come in to be transport minister. And Noel secretary wrote back and said, look, the minister um, doesn't want to be dealing one week with Dublin's cycling campaign, next week with Cork, and next week with Galway, all making the same, more or less making the same points and raising the same issues. You really will have to uh, become a federation. So we went back and talked to all the others, and um, we agreed that we would set up an, a federation of the cycling campaigns in the country, and, and that became Cycles.ie, the Irish Cycling Advocacy Network, ICANN. And that was founded in November 2008. You're listening to the Bike Bikecast. Your one stop shop for all things Clonacilty Bicycle Festival and beyond. This week, Alison's talking to Mike McKillen, long time cycle advocate in Dublin and one of the founders of the Dublin Cycling Campaign, all about his experiences of cycling in Dublin and his work as a cycle advocate across the country.
0: Background is in you. You're, you've been a teacher and a professor, and your your background's in I suppose maths and sciences. Really, is it?
1: Well, it's in in biochemistry and microbiology in particular. But you so, see, so do you think being those... a biochemist lets you see everything in life, basically?
0: And you probably does that served you very well in your advocacy work, kind of just being able to present information in a very act, you know?
1: Yeah. But you see, the thing that characterises this cycling campaigns, whether it's Galway, Cork. Um, Waterford they're mostly made up in the early days mostly made up of techies scientists yeah. architects professionals um, engineers so we were all able to present things well and then you know when 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 websites became available and social media then everything changed and that, that, that let us be more effective.
0: And were you guys running joint events at that time too, or is it mostly lobbying government? Uh,
1: Lobbying, lobbying, uh, cycling. Basically lobbies on national issues, meets with the road safety authority, meets with um, the Garda-Shiaqana traffic core or road policing unit as it's now called. So, and we do, we make submissions on planning schemes where, which might have an impact on cycling, like big developments and, We look for more spaces on trains for bicycle um, carriage. So cyclists.ie deals with the national issues and the local campaigns deal with the local issues. That's that's basically what
0: happens. And you are still active in Cyclist.ie and you're handling membership, aren't you?
1: I look after membership, yeah, and we're trying to grow individual membership.
0: So, how many group members and individual members do you know?
1: <laughs> well, we have about twenty-five group members now, including the Clonakilty Bicycle Festival uh, and the um, uh, Clon
0: Bike Circus. The Bike Circus. I think we have three. I think we have three yes, right. The community <laughs> I, bike I know John
1: right, puts the money in every year. Yes, yeah. he's great. Um, and You do fantastic, um, and these podcasts are, are, are a fantastic idea. Thanks. Well done.
0: So, we've got about 25 kind of active groups either doing more campaigning, and there's a few festival groups among them, and then in, Greenway, what groups,
1: have, Greenway, Greenway, Greenway groups. Greenway groups, groups. Well.
0: yeah, yeah. The Greenways are happening really well. And what about individual members? What what do they benefit from joining up, and why? Well, they,
1: what do they benefit? They, they really get they don't really get much uh, other than tapping into our advocacy, and they can, of course ask us to, to you know consider this issue or that issue. Um, they do. Um, I mean, and they're entitled to attend annual, ca- biannual council meetings as well.
0: So I think it's, is it 20 euros, something for an individual member? 20
1: euros for an individual member, yes. And
0: not 100 euros a year for a group, which includes... Covers our insurance for hosting events, which is amazing because normally we we were paying four hundred and fifty to private insurance and yeah. um, it 's brilliant because psycho studies basically become an umbrella that smaller groups can tuck in and we can ask questions and i mean that 's the major benefit from us we can we plug into a, nor- a larger network so the individual members how many individual members would you guys have in a given year
1: um, We have about thirty individual members and some are very generous, some make generous donations so you know, it's not just 20 euros. Some of them, you know, make incredibly generous donations as well. So this all helps to, you know, to keep the lobby work going because not only do we pay the annual insurance uh, premium to the uh, insurer, but, you know, we pay for membership of the European Cyclist Federation, which we are the member for Ireland of. And that puts us into a much wider European context with all the other cycling campaigns um, in Europe. And, of course, Damien Tuma is who is on the uh, who is our national cycling coordinator Damien is a vice president of the European Cyclists Federation and sits on the board
0: and just in, in terms of that on funding so it's it is essentially volunteer driven there are, are everyone who's a cycling group runs a group in Ireland it's all volunteers and the whole the the executive and the, the board are all volunteers as well aren't they
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So, but Damien Otuma as national cycling coordinator is, we try, we pay him, um, a, a, you know, for two days a, a, a week, but yes. you know, we, we should be having him for a whole week because he does all the work.
0: So all this work is being done with really just scratching, scratching by, and it's by the, basically the, the generosity of members, but also, um, hopefully, um, other larger organization support. And I guess that would be great to see too, wouldn't it? To see more organizations seeing the value of what Cyclists.ie is doing and then pitching in to help. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and Dublin Cycling Campaign um, is, um, has a, 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 what do you call it? A, a business membership, uh, an institutional in, organization membership structure and Dropbox, um, the multinational um, contributed 10,000 euros to Dublin Cycling Campaign. As a result of its advocacy work in the greater Dublin area. So
0: Dublin cycling campaign is 700 strong, did you say now?
1: Yes, right. so 750.
0: They're, they're a very strong. Um-
1: Yes. And Cork is over 200, I think. So, yeah. you know, there is strength. Um,
0: we have hundred. We have over 100 members in our little corner of the world as well. Uh, fantastic. And it's all generally, I mean, some of them are paid memberships because we all have um, some expenses. Um, some of them are free memberships. Ours is 20 a, a year, but you have access to a workshop and tools and, and tuition on how to use it. So, I mean, it's amazing. Getting involved in your local cycle advocacy group is amazing value for money. But it's, um, it's amazing to see what can be done. It's all been done. Out of a real passion for kind of change.
1: Oh, absolutely, and and it it, it it encompasses everything from not just getting people on bikes and particularly children on bikes, and children cycling safely to school, like I was able to do, because we've got an obesity problem, overweight problem in this country, and parents are driving their children everywhere. It's it's just wrong. We've got to stop it. It's madness.
0: What do you think? Then the best way have you seen a, a, the best way to get people out of cars either Start walking, or
1: yeah well you know you, you can appeal to people's good nature, but unfortunately you've got to make it more difficult for people to reach for the car keys um, and I'm a great believer in erecting barriers to driving anywhere you want anytime you want anyhow you want so um, basically you've got to make it more difficult
0: I haven't said this yet, but we I met Mike just to let listeners know I think we met the very very first time I was I had been cycling in Dublin. Um, I was going back and forth to do a trade show that I was up there doing um, for my own work and I got knocked, I got knocked, I got hit by a car. It's the language you need to be used really. Got hit by a car in Dublin and um, it you know, it it got very complicated very quickly and when I was back here in Clonacilty, I wasn't, thankfully I wasn't badly injured, but when I got back here to Clonacilty um, and I couldn't make contact with the people who had uh, damaged me and my bike, I kind of thought, well, I am a, I'm a cycle advocacy group. I, I need to, I can't just let it slide. You know, I need I need to somehow at least get it on the, the police record that there's been an incident. And I also need to make sure that the driver has it at least on their record. Um, so that's the first time, even though we'd been in contact with cyclist.ie, that's the first time I really got in touch and, and reached out to a larger organization to say, what do you think I should do? And this email went out, I think it was from Damien, that, that basically was, Alison from the Clonic Hilty Bicycle Festival has been hit in Dublin. And it was like this rally of support. And I remember the next time I had to go up because I was doing a course, you met me, you offered to meet me right off the train, I think, and you cycled me to Ballsbridge where I had to go into the police station. And you, wait, you waited for me and supported me through the process of putting in a statement. And it was the most just that kind of support. Um, and then all the conversations that in, ensued afterwards um, was what pushed me forward to do more advocacy work. Because it's, I think what I learned was it's just so important when you're on a bike not to feel like you're you're always in the wrong. You know, we have this kind of mentality that if I get knocked off on my bike, it was because I was on the bike and I, sh- you know, it's it's all our fault. But actually there's this, there is a water support network that can, that's just not the case. You know, we, we have to hold large metal boxes that drive around accountable because they 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 can cause damage um so I just wanted to kind of make put that on the record because it was the first time we met and I just came back so feeling like you know when you get hurt and injured and then you get this swelling of emotion and just like just I was so thankful to have you there so thanks Mike
1: we met also, if you remember, we met at the um, impact site because I wanted to see exactly Yes, where you had, had already
0: done, you'd already <laughs> taken, taken photos, photos. Uh, and and you were able to come to me and say you, because obviously when you get hit off, knocked off a car, you can't remember and you said, no, this is where you were hit, I'm t- I've taken photos, this, you're completely in the right, there's no way she should have turned, it was this, they turned and knocked me off my bike. Um uh, so just for somebody to say, I've actually been there with the level head, I've done a scientific survey of the area and present it.
1: Well, well sadly, you're not the only one. Um, I mean, I've, 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 I do help a lot of cyclists, too many, in fact, um, write up um, a statement to present to Angarda Siakana, because, it's, as you say, it's absolutely critical that the cyclist gets the a statement in that they've written with, with maps in it, with photographs, if necessary. And they they take it to the local station where for the area where the accident or where the, not the accident the collision impact happened, and get the pulse ID number for it. That is vital. You must get the pulse ID number to make sure it's on the system in on Gardaí
0: What's the pulse ID?
1: Pulse ID is their uh, their system for handling everything that um, comes in into the. It, it's a database basically. And if you don't have, if they don't tell you, you have to ask for the Pulse ID uh, number for your report.
0: And then that means it's official. Official. Yes. Clearly. So and I would
1: appeal to any cyclist to get the Pulse ID number for
0: it. Yes, and this will, uh, obviously, if there's, there's a junction that that you know people are getting knocked off over and over again, even if you're not seriously, seriously injured, but if people are getting knocked off repeatedly, There's obviously a massive need to address an issue at that junction. So you're actually doing everyone else a favour by reporting and getting your Pulse ID number if there's any collision um, on a bike. Um,
1: I I also go, and this is the horrible part of of what I do, I also attend um, inquests into the deaths of cyclists in the Dublin uh, area, in the Dublin City Coroner's Court. And those are harrowing experiences. But by attending them, I hear the expert witnesses, which is generally the Garda Roads Policing Unit, presenting the um, all their forensic collision investigation of the impact. And from those, from attending at those, I learn more about why these are happening.
0: And are you able to raise issue um, with the verdicts, or what are you able to? To, or are you just there as a listener so that you can put it into the repository of information that we have?
1: Um, I, I have no statutory right to um, say anything, but I write to the registrar of the coroner's court and I say, I'm going to be attending and could you please inform the coroner that I would like to be able to address the jurors and the court if I, if I see anything about the evidence or I think something's unclear. Because at the end of the day, it's the jury that put in the verdict, um, uh, rather than the coroner.
0: And I think you've told me in the past that too often it favours, uh, you know, a, maybe there was a sun glare, or and that's enough to get a driver off. And
1: yeah, but don't forget, the coroner's court is only to determine how the accident happened, where it happened, the time of the accident. And the identity of the um, victim, who, victim, who the casualty, uh, who died. So it's not an investigative um, forum that would come later, either in criminal proceedings against the driver, or in a civil proceedings taken by the the dependents of the of the uh, deceased.
0: Wow, well, that must be um, yeah. It's horrible,
1: yeah. horrible. It's yeah. horrible for the family. And many families, and they, families make a big mistake in this, they come to the coroner's inquest without any representation. I would plead to any uh, family member, and I hope there are no, no more, um, come to the coroner's court with representation, come with a, a, a road traffic engineer, a forensic engineer, um, not just a solicitor. You, you really do, do need to look at the evidence.
0: And I mean, again, hopefully no one is, in, is you know, experiencing this, but would cyclist.ie then be a great place to get in touch with, so to be put in touch with the right people if you ever needed anything like that. Yeah. yeah. So just to kind of start wrapping up, I guess I was wondering about any campaigns, specific campaigns that you've been involved in, in your 40-odd years of cycle advocacy in Ireland? 40, yeah. 40 yeah. to 50 years of cycle advocacy in Ireland? Um, is there anything that really stood out that we could take as an example of something that worked that or that, that created a lot of positive energy to get more people onto bikes?
1: Yeah. Well, um, I'm, I'm along with many others in, in, in cyclist.ie. Um, we organize um, um, cycle skills training for about 15 of us way back in the uh, mid noughties. So it's great to be able to train younger people and indeed adults um, in how to ride a bike, um, you know, properly and defensively in traffic, particularly in an urban area. So I've enjoyed that. I still offer training to adult. I don't want to train children. I prefer to deal with adults and particularly with adults who are wanting to cycle to work and, are going to be a lot more with COVID um, people avoiding public transport so being able to help people you know cycle more confidently in urban traffic is certainly a a nice thing to have done over those years Um, and I like um, my present job co-chairing the active travel committee in Trinity because we can do so much there you know we've got an open door we've got people who want to cycle (laughs) And um, we've got a city now that is actually listening. So I mean, that's great.
0: And I, I guess you have a lot of students who have the passion and the time too. Yeah. They, they're younger. We've so, they, you know,
1: from... we so much expertise. We've so much expertise across all the disciplines. You know, legal and, and environmental. So it's a, it's a, it's a, And I'm retired from there, and I have, I'm, but I'm still able to to contribute, which is lovely.
0: And are you still doing cycle training for people? Yeah. And is that just when people get in touch with you, or how does that work?
1: Yeah. People get in touch through uh, Cycle Study or Dublin Cycling Campaign or whatever. Yeah. There are a number of us, not just me. There there are loads of us now. Will Andrews is one and uh, Damien is one and Shane Thorne and Galway. uh, ah.
0: Over the summer, as I've been kind of interviewing people and uh, especially people who work in community bike workshops, um, seems to be one of the biggest impacts is the very either very small groups or one to one like to get someone onto a bike is just learning to cycle with somebody who knows and is confident i think that's always a real positive actually last night we were sitting here up, upstairs looking out we look over our road and our neighbors appeared at the front with their um now 8 year old daughter and she's Ari our little son who's who's turning 5 on saturday they're best buddies but Ari's booting around on his bike and Sophia's been on training wheels and she had the fear of the training wheels and she just came up last night just cycling without training wheels off and she was just so delighted. But when at that age, when you get it, you're unstoppable. You've already got everything else. So she was just, she just learned without the training wheels and she was just going around. So I've said, right, I'm going to take the two of you out because Ari's already comfortable. We'll take you out and we can do, you know, you cycle right next to me and you can tell them, you can talk to them while they're cycling and just develop confidence but it was great to see a new a new cyclist on the road
1: well i have five grandchildren so i mean over the years i've taken them out, brought them into the city i've, I've had two of the um, uh, two of the grandsons into dublin city when they were eight uh, right into the city center
0: yeah, brilliant. And they'll... At a
1: weekend, at a weekend. But I, I, I choose, you know, safer routes into the yeah. city. It wasn't going straight into the common street.
0: Yeah. But it's possible. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's possible. You just have to keep your wits about you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so thank you so much for your time, Mike. I was just wondering, is there, in relation to everything that's happening with cycle advocacy in Ireland, is there something at the moment that gives you great hope just to wrap up our conversation
1: yeah what gives me great hope is that road authorities um by that i mean all the county councils the national transport authority the transport infrastructure ireland and the department of transport i think they are all beginning to see that we cannot keep going with car dependency something has to give and um you know it will give
0: and the announcement was there an announcement yesterday in the uk that they were gonna
1: yes yeah and they've redesigned um basically uh, boris johnson and the uk government uh, are going to refocus um all roads on cycling from now on so and we'll no- follow suit
0: yes hopefully exactly hopefully we'll we'll look to them and we'll follow suit um great well thanks so much mike for your time it's been great to talk to you you've been listening to another episode of the clon bike cast this week with special guest Professor Mike McKillen. Massive thanks as always to the lovely Justin Grounds for all his work editing these podcasts together and the tunes between.